prepared. We believe that he's given us his word. And we want to honor his word. And so we love going through books of the Bible because it gives a picture of who God is. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss anything of Jesus. Because I think Jesus is amazing. And within the small stories of Scripture, he reveals himself and he shows up. And so we've been talking about how the name of Jesus is transforming people. How he's transformed the apostles through the power and sending of the Spirit. How he's transformed through signs and wonders and miracles. In the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about a man who, if left to ourselves, would never go to heaven. We've been talking about Saul, who was, quite frankly, an enemy of God. He hated Christians. Matter of fact, he wanted, every, he wanted to do anything possible to stop this movement that is happening, that the Spirit is just moving, and cities are being transformed, and people are encountering the living Jesus, and, and their lives are being changed. But the name of Jesus is powerful, church, right? And so we know that on the road to Damascus, he encounters the living Jesus, He doesn't just encounter uh, someone that probably acts or lives like Jesus. He literally experienced the, the, the living Jesus himself. And you know what's cool about that is that we can do that too. The cool thing about Jesus raising from the dead and being real is that we can encounter the living Jesus just as much as Paul did. But Jesus, but Jesus, right? He didn't leave Paul to his own desires and his own wants, but he transformed him. And as a result of that, God began to do something pretty incredible in Saul's life. But we remember the verse that says, I've, called, I, I've chosen Paul. Paul was chosen, but he was also chosen to suffer. Right? And so the exact thing that he was imposing on believers, God is allowing him to go through it. Why? Because God is calling Paul to himself. And sometimes through suffering, we get to experience Jesus on a whole different level. And Saul, in those moments, are reminded of how much he needs Jesus. And so he was chosen to preach the gospel. He was chosen to suffer through the hands of of the exact people that he was friends with, right? The Jews, he was buddy-buddy with them. But yet now the flip side is he's accept Jesus and he's chosen to be persecuted by them. And so we see this man who... People now wanted to kill, but God allowed it for him to flee. God, so, so that is the end of Saul in chapter 9 for a couple chapters. And we're going to see him about 14 years later before he's commissioned to go on his first missionary journey. But now, back in the story this morning, we're going to talk about a man named Peter. Talk about transformation, right? Peter was, uh, I mean, he, he, was, he, he was bold. He was one that wasn't afraid to say how he was, but he was also one to make decisions and, and, and act before thinking. And so he did some pretty crazy things when Jesus was alive, right? We know that he what? He denied Jesus. We know that he cut a man's ear off because he thought that he had to be a savior to Jesus and he had to to stop what was happening. But we saw a man who Jesus on the shore say, Peter, I love you, feed my sheep. And Jesus was calling Peter back into a right relationship with him. 
And we know that Peter, who is what? What did Jesus promise Peter? That upon this rock, I'm going to what? Build my church. And Jesus gave him what? The keys, right? And so here's Peter, who God was letting Peter know, like, I'm going to use you. And so this morning, what we're going to see is Peter showing back up, right? We know that at the beginning of Acts, he was filled with the Spirit, right? Here's a man who denied Jesus, who is now living boldly for Christ and not afraid to step on toes and not afraid to have a East Coast mentality when it comes to telling people how it is. If you guys don't know, I'm from New Jersey, and that's just how we work. But here's Peter, right? And so this morning, we're going to talk about something that is dear to all of our hearts. Because by a show of hands, how many of you have ever been sick or you know someone who's sick? How many of you guys know someone who has cancer? How many have had one pass away and you've lost a loved one? This is something that all of us have experienced. And quite frankly, we could sit here in the midst of all those and we can have the question, Jesus, why? Right? If your name is great and you are powerful, Jesus, why are we suffering? Why is there pain? Why is there cancer? Why is there suffering? Why are people dying too young? Or why is there evil? Why are people by the thousands, killing babies in the womb. Why are all these things happening, Jesus? And here's the one thing we got to understand. It's that at the beginning of time, God created a holy and perfect world. He created a world that was good. He called it good. And he created humans, and he called them very good. And he placed them in a garden, and he had this beautiful relationship with them. And he set boundaries, and he said, you can do anything but this one thing. Unfortunately, at a time, Adam and Eve were deceived, and they chose to do something that was going to benefit them instead of living for God. And as a result of that, what came in the world? Sin. What did sin do? Sin broke and tarnished and blurred what God designed. Matter of fact, sin broke four relationships. He, it ultimately broke our relationship with God. It broke our relationship with each other to where that's why we have wars and we have all this going on. He broke our relationship with ourselves because we have a, a tarnished identity that we find ourselves in because that's what sin does. And sin has also broken our relationship with the world. And as a result of that, all of this stuff came in the world, disease, darkness, death, hatred. But Jesus, right? But Jesus came. And he died on the cross. And he rose again, defeating sin, defeating the power of sin, defeating death. And as a result of that, we can look at Scripture and know that because Christ came to die uh, and to defeat sin, we also know that he came to die and redeem what sin has broken. 
And we know that our relationship with Jesus, he came to restore first and foremost. But if you walk into our doors, we're part of the Christian Mission Alliance, and we have what we call the fourfold gospel. We'll believe that Jesus is our savior, our sanctifier, our healer, and our coming king. We also believe, and we ultimately believe that Jesus first and more came to save us. He came to set us apart and to sanctify us. And he came to heal us. He came to be our healer. And this morning in Acts, we're going to talk about what it means for healing to happen. And we're going to talk about that healing is ultimately in the power of Jesus. It's not in us. It's ultimately in the power of Jesus and how the Spirit chooses and empowers us to live for him, to expand and to impact his kingdom, not ours. But God is good. And this morning, we're going to talk about two people who experienced suffering. And we're going to see how Peter responds and how Peter's focus is there. And so this morning, we just got to remind ourselves that in all of Acts, we believe that all of Jesus for all the world and everything that happens in Acts and everything that happens in the world, God has a plan because he's sovereign. And we know that he's sovereign. And we know that he's calling us to himself because he sent the Spirit. And because of the Spirit, we have the power to go and proclaim him to the world. And one of the ways we can do that is by praying and seeking him and telling others about him. But here's what we're going to look at today. We're going to know that ultimate healing is found in Jesus. And we're going to look and see that Christ has the power over disease and Christ has the power over death. And so I'm going to invite you to stand this morning because I firmly believe in corporate reading of Scripture together. I'm going to invite you to stand as we read Scripture together. So we're in Acts chapter 9. And it's going to be on the screen, starting in verse 32. And it just says this, together. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose, and all the residents of Lydda And Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Verse 36. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. And in those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Leda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. And so Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive, 
and it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Would you pray with me this morning? Jesus. Lord, our desire this morning is to hear from you. Lord, we believe that you speak. We believe that you use your ultimate speaking God, which is Scripture, to encourage us, to challenge us, to point us ultimately to you. And this morning, Jesus, we're asking that your spirit to come and empower. God, may any word that comes out of my mouth be glorifying to you. Lord, may you be praised. May you be honored. Lord, this isn't about me. And so, Jesus, this morning, may I decrease and may you increase. So, Spirit, speak. May we have ears and hearts to be obedient to what it is that you're calling us to be a part of. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. So, as a father, I have two baby girls. Uh, one is five years old, and the other one is, is seven months old. And we, were, we just took a vacation to Florida uh, to, to Fort Myer area. And if you know what happened in the fall in Fort Myer, you know that a, a, a large hurricane hit it. And as a parent, driving your, ch- your child through places of destruction, through places of suffering, through places of hurt and reminders of what happens, it breaks your heart. Because as a five-year-old, she fully can't quite understand suffering, and she can't understand why things happen. And, And to explain to her things like a large storm wrecked this place, how do you explain to a five-year-old that our world is broken? How do you explain to a five-year-old that as a result of sin, we have suffering and hardship? How do you explain to a five-year-old that even we see this, God is still good and God still has a plan, even in the midst of what our eyes see as awful? It's hard as a parent to, to explain to them things like sickness and death. And if you guys know us, you know that my, my mother-in-law is experiencing cancer. And we know that if, if, if it's God's will to take her at some point, he will. But trying to explain to your daughter that her grandma is sick it's hard. And trying her to point her to Jesus in her way, like, it isn't easy. But I'm so thankful that we have Scripture and we have the Spirit to empower us, to show us that God is good. And even in the midst of suffering, man, God is still working. God doesn't stop. I think so many times we experience these things and we act as if God has just stopped working or that that, that, that something in your life has to be wrong because why? God, like, I, I serve you. I'm faithful. I do all these things. God, why, why are you allowing this to happen? And then you probably have people who tell you, and you just have to have enough faith. 
If you have enough faith, these bad things won't happen to you. But that's not true, right? Like scripture doesn't say that if you follow me, I'm going to protect you and guard you. Even if you, even if you have enough faith, like we see in scripture that these things are still going to happen. And in this scripture, as far as we know, these are, are people who, who believe in God. Matter of fact, it says that, that Talmatha is a disciple. But God, like the world, and, and there's Christians and churches out there that teach that if you have enough faith and you follow Jesus, man, like your life is going to be great and hunky-dory. And all these things are going to be awesome to you. But man, that is a false gospel. And so we look at these two stories and we come upon the first one where we see Peter coming back into the story. Last time we saw him was in Acts chapter 8 when he was confirming uh, that, that the, the Samaritan Christians were coming to Jesus and he came down to affirm that and give them the Holy Spirit. Like that is, that is one of the promises that God promised Peter with the keys to heaven is that, Peter, you're going to be a part of this movement. Matter of fact, you're going to have a powerful part by being one that, that, that is able to, to speak and give and pray for people to receive the Holy Spirit. And so we know that Peter is good. But first and foremost, what we see is this, is that Christ has power over disease. Look, now as Peter went here and there among them, like he's sharing the gospel, he's preaching. He came down also to the saints who lived in Ida. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise up and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lida and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Here's Peter, who is going among all the people preaching the gospel, and he comes upon this saint, right? Named Aeneas, who's been bedridden for eight years. I can't imagine what he's going through. This morning, I, I, I woke up, and, and yesterday I, I pulled a muscle in my back, uh, changing my wife's brakes. And, and I woke up this morning almost not able to move. And so I'm like, all right, maybe there's a little bit, Lord, of, of making me feel as if I'm, I'm in the shoes of Aeneas there. I don't know. But I can't imagine this man who's been paralyzed for eight years. He, he, he might have a wife, and I can't imagine not being able to feel her from, from the waist down or however long he's been paralyzed or where he's paralyzed. I can't imagine not being able to feel maybe the sand of the Mediterranean or, or being able to go on walks or, or to go things. And here's this man who's been bedridden for eight years. He can't do anything. They didn't have live streaming back then, so he couldn't watch his church service live. He didn't have these things, and so here's a man who couldn't go anywhere. And I can imagine what was going through his head. God, why? Why is this happening? Why are you allowing me to not be able to walk? What did I do? I can imagine that his faith was probably tested. And at some point in, in God's sovereignty, eight years later, he allowed Peter to show up. Why this moment? Why now? Why did God choose to wait? We saw in Acts, right, as Peter was walking into to, uh, to worship, 
Uh, there was a lame man who's been lame all his life on the outside, and we can imagine that he's been there for a very long time. But God, Jesus would have walked past him. All these things are happening. Why now? Because God is sovereign, and he knows exactly the perfect timing to show up and do things that are going to cause people, first and foremost, to come to him. And so Peter is with this man, and he tells them, what? <laughs> Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Here's Peter, who, quite frankly, you know, however long, a couple years earlier with Jesus, was so about himself and so trying to prove himself. And now we see this man who's transformed, who is now preaching and healing in the name of who? Jesus. So for Peter, this had to be humbling. This had to be a surrender even on his part to go and say, man, this is all about Jesus. We see so many times, so many churches put on this front and do all these things. And, and, and they're always like, look at me, look what I can do. Come up here, let me touch you, and you're going to fall back and you're going to be healed. But so many times, it's all about themselves. And yet here's Peter saying, hey, Aeneas, this isn't about me. This is about Jesus. And in the name of Jesus, I want you to rise up and I want you to walk. What was Aeneas' response? He got up. Listen, our first calling as believers, as disciples of Jesus, is to be obedient to what Jesus says. Though you know someone's a disciple, not, not always, like first and foremost, yeah, by their love for Jesus, but by their willingness to sacrifice and surrender everything to obey Jesus. Not in a way that says, I must do this because I want to earn God's favor, but saying Jesus is so good, and because of his goodness, I want to serve him. And so here's Aeneas. He obeys these words. He rises up, and he walks. And teenage parents... Here's proof that people made their beds. And he made his bed in obedience. So teenagers, when your parents say make your bed, just remember, it, it, it's, it's obedience. And immediately he rose and he went. And I can imagine this man rising up, rejoicing, celebrating, being a part of something that's so awesome. But here's the thing. Peter didn't go to Aeneas and say, hey, Aeneas, I have these seeds that can heal you. And in three easy payments of $39.99, you can have this healing. Or, you know, th this cup of coffee, Aeneas, man, this is a good cup of coffee. And within this coffee is the power to heal you. And all you got to do is buy it and drink it. None of that. Because here's the things. The things of Jesus, the, the promises of Christ are free. Salvation is free. His promises are free. There is nothing that we need to do to earn his love because he's already giving it to us. Our calling is to be willing to surrender and receive what he has for us. And in this moment, for Aeneas, it was physical healing. Now, I, 
I'm going to say this. Not everyone is healed when they pray. Not everyone, they can have all the faith in the world and, and they can pray and we can speak the name of Jesus, but we have to understand that God is sovereign. And in his sovereignty, he knows exactly what is best for us. We know that C.S. Lewis said what? That pain is God's megaphone to a deaf and broken world. And sometimes in our suffering, it's a way for God to catch our attention, for us to turn to him and worship him. And it's a reminder that even in the midst of sickness and death, we of ourselves cannot do anything without the power of Jesus. But here's a man who, who surrendered that. And, and, and we have to ask the question, does God still heal? Absolutely, God heals. There's nowhere in Scripture that says that God just stops healing. But I can tell you this, there's a danger of being one on one side that says every time you pray, God's going to answer that and heal you. And there's a danger of being on the other side that says God doesn't heal anymore. God, stop that. So what is our calling in all of this? Well, we have to understand that in the resurrection and redemption work of Jesus, healing is provided. But we also have to understand this, the, the final verse in here, 35. And all the residents of Leda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. God does things, first and foremost, to call people to himself. Not to us, but to his glory. And as a result, God, God knew. God knew that, that, that it had to be eight years and, and Peter would go and then Peter in the name of Jesus and have the power and the gift of healing would pray over this man in the name of Jesus and he would be healed because God knew that that healing would bring people unto himself. We have to understand God's ultimate desire in his death on the cross is to heal us from ourselves, to save us from our sins to bring us back into a right relationship with him. And God used this to do just that. We don't know why Aeneas suffered. We don't, we don't know why he was paralyzed. But here's the thing we got to understand. Scripture doesn't always explain why we suffer. But it does explain how to suffer. And that is to look to Jesus who's the author and perfecter of our faith. We have to always turn to him. And so point number two, not only does Jesus have the power of disease, but he also has the power over death. We have a savior who didn't just stay on the cross, who didn't just get buried, but we have a savior who three days later spoke death, trampled on death and rose from the grave. And as a result of his resurrection, he alone has the power over death. Look at this. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which is translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had watched her, they laid her in the upper room. So here's a, another thing, right? It says in Joppa, <clears throat> um, which, which, is, which is close to where Peter was, that, you know, and, and so here's a, here's a, it says she's a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas, which also translated to mean gazelle. And you guys know what a gazelle is? A very happy deer. With bright eyes, very cheerful, very fast, 
very moving all the time. And so here is a, a lady named Tabitha who, who, who I can imagine that she was pretty incredible. She did a lot for her community. She served. She loved. And, and, and we know from this that there were a lot of widows, so I can imagine that she had a pretty incredible widow ministry where she was serving those who lost someone. And again, it says that she became ill. God, she's serving you. She's loving her community. Why? And this time, it wasn't just illness, but she died. God allowed this to happen. Why? We don't fully know. But in their time, they washed her, they prepared her, and they didn't bury her, but they placed her in the upper room to prepare for that. And as this was going on, some men sent for Peter. Why? Because this woman... She was influential in a lot of things. Matter of fact, in the 1800s, there was a ministry called Dorcas Ministry that was started. It was a mission and development organization that was founded to expand the kingdom of God among the unreached people groups in Africa and beyond. So here's a lady that not only made influence during her time, but later on impacted many even organizations and, and, and people to start a ministry that, that represented who she was, to serve unreached people groups, to serve and, and to speak and to be a part of, of the wholeness of people. Man, you talk about, and you will be my disciples, and I will empower you, and you will bring the gospel to the ends of the world. Man, here's a... a, a a disciple of Jesus who, who served and impacted many things to the point that that went into Africa. But she died. And so they sent for Peter. Now, Joppa was a seaport city, part of the Mediterranean, and it was about 12 to 17 miles away. And so they heard Peter was there, and so they called for Peter, and, and, and Peter rose and went. Um, now, Peter, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm pretty busy, so if someone comes to me just randomly and says, hey, you got to go, um, I have next Tuesday free. But here's Peter, who, who didn't allow his schedule, who didn't allow things to keep him from going and being obedient to the Lord. And, and, and I believe, firmly believe that he would have believed that these people were sent because of Jesus. And so they took him, he came, they took him to the upper room, and here's all these widows and said, so all these widows stood nigh him, by him, crying and weeping and wailing. And in their hands are, are garments and things that Jorcas would have made. And I don't know about you, um, as a pastor, you know, I have the opportunity to, to attend funerals and viewings. And when you go to these viewings and you look around, there is a, a, a different group, you know, of sex of people. You have some people who are just wailing and they're crying and they can't stop weeping. And then you have some who, who like, you know, just want to cry, but yet they have this, like, stone face and they're trying not to cry and they're just there and, 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 and they're just processing everything. And then you have some who, who are laughing and rejoicing because of all the things that they're reminded of, of the deceased about. And so you have all these things that are happening, and I can imagine that Peter's walking in, and there's, there's this wailing and people. And in this moment, I can just imagine that the shepherd part of Peter came out, and, and he comforted them, and, and he guided them. But just like Jesus, and just like Elijah and Elisha, Peter did something that represented all of them. He sent them all out of the room. Here's Peter. 
in a posture of submission, it says that he knelt down and he prayed. I don't know how long this prayer was, but I can imagine that he's on his face just seeking Christ in this moment. And he's praying God to raise him, to heal her. And in the power of Jesus again, it says that she rose up. Christ has the power over death. And so Peter, knowing the stories of Elijah and Elijah, knowing Christ, being there, he went. And he said, Tabitha, arise. This is a picturesque of what Jesus said in Mark 5 to the little girl when he said, Talitha kuam. It's a term of, Talitha is a term of endearment and it's related to the word lamb. And so I can imagine in this moment that Peter, in his shepherd format, is saying, Lamb, child of God, rise up. That God has a purpose. God has a plan. I can imagine that he represented the good shepherd well in this moment. And then again, I'm going forward instead, or backwards instead of forward. But he presented her to alive, and it became known throughout Aldropa, and what? Many believed. Again, in this moment, God's purpose of allowing this to happen, while we don't know why she suffered, why she had an illness, what type of illness she had, God used this moment for his glory and to draw people to himself. It goes back to even all these elements of suffering in Scripture. I can imagine Joseph uh, encountering his brothers and him saying, what you meant for evil, God allowed for good. God allows things to happen even though we know that they're evil in and of themselves so that he gets the glory and that God is magnified and God's power is illuminated. And so here's a man, Peter, that God used. And in both instances, God answered prayer through the power of Jesus, and he healed them and resurrected them from the grave. And so we got to ask ourselves, what does this mean? What does it mean for us? Well, first, we can understand this. Because of Christ's death and suffering, we have a God who's near and understands. Anytime in Scripture, in any moment, all throughout Scripture, we are faced with the promise that Jesus says that I am with you always. As believers, we have the promise that no matter what we're going through, God is present. God never leaves us or forsakes us. Even though we may feel like in the moment that God is left, he hasn't. And so we can understand and know and have confidence that Jesus is near and he understands exactly what we're going through. Look at this, Hebrews 4.16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Because of Christ's death and resurrection, we have power and we have privilege and we have opportunity to go straight to his throne, to, to boldly to ask him for anything, to receive mercy and find grace and help of time of need. We see this in scripture, right? Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. Church, <laughs> like we don't have these things in scripture just to have intellect and to have uh, uh, good theology, we have these in Scripture because Christ is trying to reveal himself to us in a way that is personable and real. And so even though we understand that Christ is near, how do we respond? Like, if, 
if the Bible says that Christ heals, and, and we know that there's healing provided in the resurrection, what is our response then when, when we pray for something and it doesn't happen? How are we to respond in moments when we're praying and we're praying and we're praying and we just seem like God isn't answering? God isn't answering what we want. So many times when something happens and there's an illness, we tend to pray for circumstantial things. God, take away this sickness. God, take away this pain. Take away this sorrow. And those things are great. But the midst of us praying to the Lord, here's what we have to know is that we must come to a posture of surrender. And that's when I believe God can truly do what he desires in our lives. When we come to Christ and we pray for healing, there has to be a sense and a posture of saying, Lord, I'm surrendering. God, this is what I'm praying for, but Lord, your will be done. We just finished up praying through 40 days of the Lord's Prayer. And we know that it starts off giving grace and worship and magnifying the name of the Lord. And then it says, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. Before it gets to give us this day our daily bread, there is a posture of surrender. And so as Christians, we have to understand that when we come to Christ and we're praying for healing, we have to come with, Lord, your will be done. I believe 100% that you can do this, Jesus, but your, your will be done. Here's a couple quotes. A believer's healing may have a public effect, but this incident, this incidental to the this is incidental to the spiritual benefits, the healing effects in our believers in our life. The purpose of God is to bring each of us into conformity with the image of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the things that God allows, the sicknesses that he allows, the infirmities that he allows, the disease that he allows to happen, it's not him making it happen, he's allowing it. But here's the thing. God's purpose to bring healing is to bring us into conformity to the image of his son. And so while we pray for physical healing, Christ may desire to do something totally different that's going to bring us closer to him. Because God's sovereign, he knows exactly what we need. Healing. A.B. Simpson said this, healing is not a mere answer to prayer. It is not a package delivered from heaven through a messenger, but it is a meeting between you and the Lord. It is a personal contact with the living Christ. When we're praying for healing and we're praying for God to show up, we're, we're not praying to some long-distance being. We're praying to a living Christ, a Christ that we get to experience. And when God shows up and God speaks, we get to encounter that. And that is the purpose of God's healing. That is the purpose of why we're here. That is the purpose of everything. It's because God should get the glory. And so God heals in a way that's going to bring his name the most glory. It's not going to bring our name the most glory, but it's going to be in a way that draws us to himself. But here's the thing. We can't not pray. The Bible says to seek the Lord with all of your heart, to pray, to, to lay your request before the throne. But in, Sunday, in men's group yesterday, we learned this. It says sometimes we pray because we have wrong desires. We're praying for healing because of wrong desires. But when we surrender and we fall at the face of Jesus and we say, Lord, your will be done. God, my heart's desire is to draw closer to you. I believe 100% that you can heal and I'm having faith that you can heal. But Jesus, if there's other things that you desire of me, speak. 
If there's things that's going on, you're allowing to speak. But we can have confidence in this, knowing that our ultimate healing is a future promise. When we experience pain and we experience sorrow and we experience all these things, here is what we can know. Revelations 21, he will wipe every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, nor anyone, for the formal things have passed. And he who has seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Church, in the midst of suffering, we can have hope knowing that Christ is doing something pretty incredible. And sometimes it's in our suffering that, that God allows us to see this more clearly. Knowing that while we suffer now, we should keep praying, we should have faith, and we could surrender everything. Matter of fact, we should be on our hands and knees crying out to Jesus. And there's going to be times that he's going to answer your prayer, yes. And there's going to be times where he's going to say, no, that is not my desire. Or there may be times where you're praying for something and he's saying, not yet. And that not yet could be exactly this. Knowing that one day he's going to restore all things because of his power and his glory for his name's sake. And so what does that mean for us? Well, it means that we can stand and know that we have hope, knowing that Christ is on the move. We can have hope knowing that he doesn't stop working. We can have no, knowing that the, when the Bible promises that he does all things for our good, we can know that because he's sovereign. and He knows exactly what we need. And so we may look at this suffering going, God, this isn't good. Jesus is like, no, I have you exactly where I need you. And it's because of this that you're going to become more into the image of my son. And it's because of this that you're going to bring my name glory. Think about it, right? I mean, Paul, one of the greatest writers we had, said that he pleaded with the Lord three times. He was on his face crying out, and God says, Paul, my grace is sufficient. And Paul in that moment says that I am made strong in my weakness. Why? Because Christ is getting the glory. Amen? Christ is getting the glory. And we can know that these things are true. And we can know that Christ is real through his word. So how, do we, how are we to be obedient to this? How are we as elders to be obedient to this? I'm going to have Linda come up. And I'm going to invite her to play. And we're going to have a time of prayer. If you want to pray out loud, you can. If you want to pray silently, you can. If you want to pray with others, you can. In Scripture, how do we respond? It says, well, to pray for one another. There's people in our church who are suffering. There's people you know who are dealing with illness. If you know, Bev had hip surgery this morning. And a report is that, man, thank you, like Jesus, like her, her surgery went well. And she has precious metal in her hip right now. But God is still good. And so we can lift her up and pray, Lord, may your will be done in her life. Maybe we have someone who know who's been suffering for cancer for so long, and we can look at Scripture and know that, that sometimes it, it takes years for God to answer something. And so keep praying for them. You can. But how does this respond to elders? Well, James 5 says, if anyone is sick to come to the elders and anoint them and pray over them. So I'm going to have the elders to come forward and they're going to be in the front. 
And, and for some of you, you may look at this passage and go, well, though that's in quietness, that's in private, that's okay. If that's you, I wanna encourage you that if you need prayer, come to us, call us up. We will come and we will anoint you and we will pray over you because it's biblical. But here's the thing. These little containers, there's no power in this. There's no power here. As far as I know, none of us have the gift of healing, but we're called to be obedient because why? Because we serve a God who has the power to heal. We have the power, God, we serve a God who has the power to restore. And so maybe you're here and you have someone who's been suffering from drug addiction for a very long time and you just wanna pray for him. Or maybe you wanna stand in the gap and have the elders anoint you for the sake of that person. Like if that is you, like come. And, and I wanna invite you, but we're gonna spend some time praying because that is what we're called to do, to seek the face of Jesus, to pray that God's will be done. Pray in the name of Jesus and, and pray over people in the name of Jesus that God would heal them, that God would free them, that God would transform them because we have a God that can, amen? Like we don't serve a God that says, man, that drug has defeated me or that illness, man, I don't have power over it. Like we have a God that has power over everything. But when we seek Christ, we first and foremost gotta seek his kingdom. And we know that if we seek his kingdom, he's gonna provide for what we need. And what we need is to be created in the image of his son. So whatever that may be, pray that. So let's just spend some time praying. And if you want prayer, 